Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people who are helping autistic adults and teens become more successful. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. In 1870, when we had the first two African Americans to serve in Congress, a total of 162 African Americans have served as U.S. representatives, delegates, or senators since then. In 1917, when Jeanette Rankin of Montana became the first woman to serve in Congress, a total of 366 women have served as U.S. representatives, delegates, or senators since then. Now, what does this have to do with today's episode of Autism Stories, you may be wondering? Well, our guest today, Joshua Collins, is looking to become the first openly autistic member of Congress later this year. The first person to achieve something is important to not only the valuable contributions that he or she can provide, but for the power of seeing someone like you achieve something gives the belief that you can achieve the same thing. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Joshua, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Wanted to start off by learning where does your story in the autism community begin? I mean, obviously I've been autistic my whole life, but I went through school not knowing I was autistic. And so I generally just struggled with a lot of things, not knowing why, particularly social interactions. And, you know, I got to literally my adult life uh, what was I, 25, uh, when I, like, when I actually talked to a doctor about it, and since then it's been a lot easier for me to cope with it, just being able to recognize when things that I'm struggling with aren't because I'm, you know, because uh, there's something wrong with me, it's just, this is the way my brain works, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that, that's kind of how it starts, I mean, when I was, when I was in school, I was, um, you know, I didn't have friends, didn't have, like, relationships at all, like, I couldn't really maintain friendships, uh, or relationships with my family right there. And so, you know, it impacted my life in a lot of ways without me really understanding why. And uh, now that I know, I can, you know, I can be aware of, like, you know, what I'm feeling with when I'm having problems and you know, struggling with things. You're looking to become the first openly autistic person to be a member of Congress and have mentioned yeah. Greta Thunberg as an inspiration in this process. What was it about Greta that's been so inspiring to you? Well, um, I, I saw her uh, in, in what she did for people who, have, who are autistic and how it impacted the way people view people who are autistic. Um, and I just, I couldn't deny the benefit of that for people who are autistic because, uh, you know, she could have probably done the same stuff and not said that she was autistic and it probably would, like she probably could have succeeded just as much. But she decided to, you know, tell people that she was autistic and like, you know, it, it made people recognize that, oh, this person is really capable and smart and stuff. And there are just things that she struggles with that, you know, some people don't, but there are some things that she does really well, uh, in, in part because she's autistic. And I think that's, uh, what I was hoping, uh, you know, would happen. Um, and I think people see that with me as well. You know, I do struggle with public speaking. I, I struggle with things that are, uh, overstimulating, but you know, I, spend every waking moment on this stuff and it doesn't even bother me so um, and i think people uh you know see that and they, they recognize the value in that so. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the really interesting things about your campaign is that it was built from the ground up. You had no connections and prior to the start of your campaign, and you funded the entire campaign entirely through social media. Can you talk about that process? Yeah. So I, I was looking at, um, you know, running for office and like what it would take for me to do it. Right. I was just a truck driver. Uh, I didn't have a lot of connections. I didn't have like, uh, you know, rich friends or, or family members. And when I was uh, watching other campaigns and how they funded their campaigns, and I, I saw how much they struggled to, to fund their campaigns as progressives. And I decided that like I would put a, um, a lot of effort into social media so that I could raise money. And what I did was I just looked like I, I spent a lot of time looking at social media, just like kind of analyzing like what what performs well, what you know what people what people like, like common uh, you know common patterns and like you know, posts that do well and posts that do poorly. And you know after doing that for a while, you know I started posting a lot, and then um, you know eventually I got on Twitter and. When I went on Twitter, it was um, because uh, of the way the algorithm works and, you know, the way it's more public, you know, you can reach a lot more people than you can on, like, a Facebook page, right? Mm. Um, so I I started on that uh, with 34 followers, um, you know, that I had from, that were, like, half bots. And then, you know, a, a few months later, I had 1,000 followers. And, you know, it was just for me, you know, looking at, like, what works and what doesn't um, and kind of just intuitively being able to, you know, recognize patterns and stuff. And I kind of did the same thing with TikTok and Instagram. So, And last I looked on TikTok and Twitter, you had over 75,000 followers, which is pretty impressive. And, yeah. I, and I think that'll certainly help with connecting with younger voters. However, you are running for Congress in the 10th District in Washington State, and the majority of voters are over 25 years of age. How do you plan to communicate with this age group that they should vote for you in the upcoming primary? Well, you know, we are we are phone banking. We're doing a lot of voter contacts. You know, uh, I, I think a lot of people mistake my social media for my actual campaign. Social media is a tool. It's not it's not the campaign. It's a it's how you fund a campaign. It's how you get volunteers. It's how you get media. Um, and it's how you reach people initially, and that. That has done very well for me, you know, gotten us a lot of volunteers and a lot of money uh, so that we can pay a staff to, you know, actually run a real campaign. And so what we've been doing uh, because of the COVID-19, we cannot knock doors. So we are doing daily phone banking and you know, also we are doing very targeted emails and we are working on setting up like targeted advertising on, on like Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and we are, uh, you know, so far we've, we've had a lot of success with phone banking just because our message is very popular and people are much more excited about a, you know, a young truck driver running for Congress than a, uh, uh, you know, a career politician. So that, that gives us a big advantage over everyone else running frankly. Now, since this is the Autism Stories podcast, I wanted to discuss with you about your platform on disability rights. Now, a challenge for so many autistic people is employment. How would you look to make conditions better for disabled people to in obtain employment in the future? One thing I would want to do is pass the Time Act. Um, it's um, it, it's the it expands on the Fair Labor Standards Act, um, and it would it would make uh, it would create better wages and working conditions for most uh, most people in the country, but especially people who, who have uh, disabilities. 
I would also want to, you know, increase employment and education opportunities for um, people with disabilities and expand funding for, you know, the elderly and people with disabilities, uh, which, which would, you know, provide a lot of services and uh, make sure that people can actually get long-term care and support. And I, I also think we should guarantee, uh, you know, at-home care as a right to all people with disabilities. I know uh, in, for a lot of people, it isn't uh, an option to have care in their home, and they have to choose between, you know, being in an institution or, you know, getting care at home. And so that's something that, you know, I really think we need to, uh, you know, uh, actually just make a right so that people don't have to go and choose between going into an institution and not being able to do things like have a job and make sure that, you know, there is that we actually have a, a fair minimum wage. I don't think it's fair that you can pay people with disabilities below the minimum wage. I think that is you know, really awful. And I think we should just guarantee that if anyone with a disability can get a job. And part of that is actually the federal jobs guarantee, which would include people who have disabilities. They would also be guaranteed a good paying government job that helps us you know, fix our infrastructure and you know, help us, helps us transition to green energy as a nation. It can be hard enough for autistic people to obtain employment, but even harder to maintain employment. And that's why social security disability insurance can be so crucial. Can you talk about how you would look to expand SSDI to support disabled people? Well, one thing we would want to do is lift the cap for the, the taxes for uh, SSDI. And um, I think that's uh, one of the biggest problems is if I think if you make $225,000 or more, you uh, anything above that, you don't pay any extra. So at some point you have, you're paying the max. And then if you make another million dollars a year, you're paying, you don't pay any extra. So we do need to lift the cap on the taxes. And that way we can fully fund, you know, actually take care of people. Um, and, I, and I think we should um, make sure that everyone is qualified for, you know, living, an actual living wage uh, with their disabilities. So I think some people qualify for smaller amounts of disability based on like, uh, you know, their their uh, job history and their family's job history. And I think that is frankly not a good way to set up disability because you're just saying that the poorer your parents are, the poorer you are, the poorer you're going to be when you're disabled. I think that, you know, is, is frankly just unfair. I think we should, uh, you know, just make it standard across the board. Everyone who has a disability should qualify for, uh, you know, enough that they can they can live and pay their bills and you know have a, a decent dignified life. There's a myth that autistic people can't find love and eventually marriage, and that's certainly not true. Uh, I've interviewed several autistic people um, on our podcast who are married, which is why I wanted to talk with you about the your, uh, disability rights platform to provide marriage equality for disabled people. Why is there not marriage equality for disabled people, and what would you like to do about that? I, I think people misunderstand like uh, a lot of disabilities, and they think that you know there isn't uh, that some people aren't capable of making decisions for themselves. Personally, I am married. I you know I, I wasn't diagnosed with a disability when I got married, and I and frankly I don't really consider my autism a disability. You know I I feel like um, you know it's it's something that has its you know pros and cons, but, um, but yeah, I, I do think that, you know, we should uh, ensure that, you know, just all people are equal in general, and I think that should include people who have disabilities. And if you didn't know, my wife, uh, we've actually been married since uh, we were 19. We met in high school, and then right after we graduated, we started dating, and we've been married since, and, you know, we've been really, really happy. So. There are many platforms of yours that I'm sure intersect, but one platform I know intersects with disability rights is trans rights. 
I, I know many autistic people who are trans or non-binary, and one area of your trans rights platform is about making it easier for name changes, which can certainly be a very complicated process. What would you like to do to make the process less overwhelming? Well, I mean, one of the, one of the prime things that we need to do is make it free. It's really expensive to change your name. Any, anyone who's ever had to go through that is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, in Washington State, we have so many fees just for getting your licenses. And then if you want to change your name as well um, and actually have your name change on the license as well, that ends up being, you know, hundreds of dollars in, in itself. And if you have like a commercial license or any sort of special license, you know, it's, it's you know, double as expensive. And there are also a lot of uh, laws around the country that um, specifically target trans people and, and, and people who, in uh, effect, people who are trying to change their name to get away from like abusive family or something. And uh, a good example is in Indiana, if you change your name, you are required to publish your uh, your dead name and your new name in the newspaper. It, it makes no sense at all. Which uh, you know. I, I think that's very clearly targeting people who are trans, and, uh, and it's intended to out people, make people afraid to change their names. And I think those kind of laws are things that we need to um, you know, outlaw on the federal level because, frankly, they're just uh, an invasion of people's uh, rights to privacy. What about gender affirmation, which is so essential and so often trans and non-binary people have to jump through hoops to get this affirmation? How would you look to affirm this identity through your trans rights platform? Well, um, I, I firmly believe that gender affirmation care is just health care. And I think that you know, we should guarantee it as a right under a single payer system or a national health care system. So I, uh, in general, I just view it, uh, it as just, just health care. And I think that people who are interested in uh, you know, gender affirmation care, and that's something that they uh, have chosen to do, I think that is uh, something that should be guaranteed to them as a right, just like any other healthcare. And for those that are listening who want to support your campaign, how would they go about doing that? Uh, my website is joshua2020.com. Uh, I am Joshua, the number four Congress on every platform. And so you can follow me on social media. If you want to just click on the links, uh, it's all at joshua2020.com, my Twitter, Instagram. Uh, TikTok and Facebook. What's been the feedback from the uh, the autism community since you announced uh, you were running for Congress? It's been incredibly positive. Um, you know, a lot of people, there, there were a lot of people who kind of sensed it um, after interacting with me. Um, and they, I think they all understand that, like, um, it wasn't something that I had to do. You know, no one was telling me to do it. The, the only people who knew were my staff, and they were very accommodating. And, and what my wife, of course, as well. And I, I gave it a lot of thought. I spent a long time, you know, kind of uh, discussing it and like figuring out, like trying to decide, like, is this something that I should wait until after I'm elected to do, or is this something that I should do as I'm running for office, so people can see that, you know, uh, like as I'm doing it, that is this is something that, you know, is not doesn't make me incapable of running for office. And I think it, it was. It felt very obvious at, at one point in time, once you know, we had discussed it enough, that it was the right thing to do. And uh, people who were autistic were very happy to see this because it's, uh, you know, they, they feel like a lot of people don't uh, represent them. They feel like they have very little representation when it comes to, like, the public eye. And usually that representation is, you know, caricatures and, it's like, bad acting in movies and stuff. And, and I think... 
like seeing someone who's just genuinely working hard and like doing doing well at something, you know, actually proudly saying that they're autistic. Well, Joshua, I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us and best of luck in the primary. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you to everyone for listening and thank you so much to Joshua for the conversation. When you're autistic, the world is in design with your unique traits in mind and everyday demands can feel insurmountable. At Autism Personal Coach, we provide autistic adults and teens hard to find support to live self-sufficient and purpose-driven lives through our private coaching and community events to help them build successful strategies in a variety of contexts, improve executive functioning skills, and strategies to combat sensory overload and anxiety. We are offering new clients two 30-minute coaching sessions at no cost. This is coaching that anyone can afford, so don't wait to reach out by clicking on the link provided in the podcast description for this episode. Next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Becca Laurie Hector about creating a mindful morning routine. Talk to you then.